Hi, everybody. I'm Neil Malonsal. Welcome to the Twyla After Show podcast. Joining me, Avery Davidson, host of Twyla, Ali Shipley, Brian Hendrickson, and Carl Wiggers. And uh, we hadn't been here in a while. We've not done We've podcasts not done as consistently as we should. But That's- we're... I feel, like I feel like I'm a broken record. I feel like I've said that every time we've done but, a podcast this year. But we've also year. had so much life so happen. So much yeah. life happened. Literally, yeah. a new life happened with Carl's baby and Kristen's baby and just moving around and getting everything in order. We've had uh, uh, supply chain issues trying to get our <laughs> studio together. That's why we're, we've got that that set, which, Carl, you did a great job setting oh, that you. up and yep. the, the lighting for it. Uh, it's temporary, though. We're still working on the, the big set, as as we're, I guess we're going to call it. Count, not counting this week's show, I guess next week's. We're doing one more show next week. But yeah. really, we're like, next time people really see our set, mm-hmm. like in a real show, it should be It done. should be done. Should and there should be a lot new Somebody about it. Somebody knock it on should, some wood quickly. It should be plenty of new, and it should be really awesome. I, I was just actually, Allie's mom and grandmother came through, and I was showing them, I was trying to cast the vision of what the studio is supposed to look like. And as I'm saying that, I'm like, man, this is going to be so awesome when it's we're gonna done. It's going to look nice. It really yeah, is. I cannot we've wait. Hit, we've seen the mock-ups. That's how we know. And then... <laughs> This is our first time doing our podcast in our official podcast room that we yeah, have in the new building, I, too. I, I was like, let's just clean this table off. We're still in under construction in the studio. We have boxes of gear everywhere, and it's going to be awesome. But I was like, let's just use this room. That's what it's here for. We, we're sitting at a table where everybody but me is holding a microphone because we don't have our arm, our podcast arm, mic arm stand things yet. But it's going to be awesome. But I just wanted to be in here because somebody else's office that we typically use is a little bit of a mess. I don't know who. I don't know who the office that would be. You have no room to talk. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Anyways. Anyways. uh, We have uh, this week's show is going to be the look back show looking back over the past year. And when we were talking about it, there were a lot of fun stories that we did. You especially had a lot of fun fun stories. Yeah. Neil like had like the banner year of I'm Mm going to do every story that I just enjoy and the rest of y'all can have whatever's left over. I'm going to find the thing that I'm passionate about and go do stories about those things. Yeah. Funny how that worked out. It's weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Brianne did that as well. And we featured that this week on the show, on the look back show. But yeah, Neil, we we were talking and he's like, one of the first stories he wanted to do was about, the story I did last week kind of and following the, the, the soybean damage that we did. But right. I was like, let's do an upbeat story. How about the story you did about D-Day? Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, it, Allie was like, that's not really upbeat. But and it, as we record <laughs> this though, this is the 80th anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. So right. it kind of On plays. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Into yeah. that as well. The, the choice of this story. And uh, I mean, Camp Claiborne, who, who to thunk it that that was right there. And Patton gave a speech and everything, Neil. Yeah, it was it was uh, an amazing thing to, to go look at. And I, I what really startled me was it looked like that before. And then in 39, they swarm, swarmed in, cut down a bunch of trees, built this camp up. They took it from the U.S. Forest well, looked, Service. I would say it looked like that. It was straight forest. Right. It was straight forest. And they went in, built this camp. They took it from the U.S. Forest Service. Built it, trained a half million soldiers of the 101st Airborne and 82nd Airborne. They were born there, uh, the, the, those two companies. And then in 1945, they went, okay, done, shut it all down, grew pine trees back on it. Hadn't, hadn't been back since. You so would never know. Just, you could drive right, right. by it and never know. And never Neil, know it. When Neil did the story, I was like, I'm pretty sure I've driven by that yeah, exact of course. spot. You almost mm-hmm. certainly have. And, and uh, it's wild. Right there where you drive past it, that was sort of the 
gateway to Alexandria because what the soldiers, there was a movie theater right there and a bus station right there, right where I do my stand up. You'll see in the, the story. They left from that point, went into the big town of Alexandria and partied and did all that stuff. Patton stayed in Alec at the that hotel at Famewood, the Bentley, is Bentley. it? The Bentley, yeah. Hotel Bentley. And so um, there were, you know, that was their their gateway. And it was a busy, I'm sure it was just at that time, so a super busy intersection. It's deserted. It's all it's trees wild. and gone now. Yeah. It was so a whole city. You, I mean, you came back, I know y'all talked about it on set. Mm-hmm. You came back with a book. And Avery, you love that book. Right? Yeah, it was it's the history of that place and, and the museum and everything like that. You you came back with some. Douglas Wilde did the story. I did this book along with three other co-authors in cooperation with the USDA about the history of Claiborne and whatnot. And he is the docent of the Southern Forest Heritage Museum. Um, and it's a really fascinating place. It's got a bunch of little buildings with different exhibits in them. But then you go out into the greater part of it. And it's it was from the sawmill that they used to build all that stuff. And the sawmill built the keels for the Higgins boats that landed on D-Day. So not only did they train the 101st uh, down the road at Camp Claiborne, but there at that sawmill was where those those keels were laid for those boats that that ran ashore on D-Day. Wow, that's amazing. That's wild. So uh, one 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 thing that's kind of mind blowing is. Like the amount of, I mean, we're talking about the amount of history, but like the blood, sweat and tears that went into, you know, deforesting that area and then using all that product to then send boats across around the world. To win win the the war. It's kind of nuts to think about that happened in right in Louisiana. It's interesting. There's an office of a guy there who um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name, but basically he started the forestry industry, not just the deforestation but replanting and mm. and they mm. they got to a point where you know trees weren't growing back fast enough so they developed this plan that started modern forestry and conservation and and all of that stuff right there in kind of the practices that we still do yeah. today now yeah. that's wild that we've refined and and got into so i i mean and nobody was there the day i went to that museum and i was just like man this is fascinating of course they get busloads of children from the children from the local area and and but I mean, everybody I think should stop by and visit it. It's really interesting. It's worth a it's worth a trip up that road. Is it one sixty five? Yeah, it is. It's in Longleaf. It's beautiful. Yeah, just that trip. I mean, I I have very vivid memory of driving down there from coming from mm. a story, shooting something somewhere, driving down that road, and it being like afternoon, sun's kind mm-hmm. of on that lower part, not setting, but yeah. And it's cutting through the trees. I was like, man. And I've driven down that road to go to other stories and other shoots like in DeRitter and uh, that direction. And I never I never knew all of the the long history Mm. behind it, because that that road that run that cuts through Camp Claiborne is gorgeous. It's all over canopy forest and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. That's really cool. Speaking of stuff that we like to do, Bree, you went out and your story that you chose was on a rodeo team. I did McNeese rodeo team. Carl um, went with me. I got he to go my, get my little like cowboy hat. Uh, I think I earned my cowboy hat. That, that I, no. no, okay, <laughs> that's a group. No, <laughs> um, maybe the cowboy boots. Maybe next time we'll let you wear those. Uh, <laughs> that's only not. worn for for cleaning the stable. So uh-huh. yeah, what kind of shoes did you wear? He wore like dress shoes. No, I did not Ew. wear dress shoes. Get that out of <laughs> okay, here. Okay, whatever shoes you're wearing right now, I wore your like, dressy well, shoes. They're not. He wore they're they're dressy shoes. Yeah. I mean, they're not. Granted, he, I did wear my tennis shoes, but 
Yeah. Anyways, I don't know. Okay. Slide. Yeah. Anyways, it was a rodeo story at McNeese State. So, yes. how did you find this story? Um, I used to college rodeo, and I still kind of follow that some. Kinda. Um, kinda. <laughs> kinda. Um, and I think it's really cool. Louisiana only has one college team. Um, which coming from Oklahoma, there's several out there. So that was kind of mm-hmm. cool to see, you know, that Louisiana, but they come up and show up and they, they definitely punch above their class, huh? Yeah. And I think even right now we have some at the NFR, we have quite a few NFRs going on right now. So that's my big thing that I'm watching. So <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's amazing how this one school and they are the Cowboys. That's the other thing. The mm-hmm. McNeese yeah. Cowboys. It's it, it, it's a perfect fit, and they're they get the cream of the crop from the state of Louisiana to join up with them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And a lot of those kids, like I said, a um, couple of them are in Las Vegas right now. Granted, they're not doing the NFR. There's a lot of bigger rodeos going on with the NFR, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of them are doing quite well. I think a couple of placed second and third in a couple of those. So. Props to Louisiana. I remember one of the things I learned whenever we're out there is a lot of them, like a lot of the guys on the college team uh, actually had their pro cards and were like, while they're also part of the college team, they're, they're hitting rodeos on the weekends, like as, as pros and like in that circuit. And I was, I learned a lot about that whole system, but I was just kind of impressed that that's like, yeah, they're college athletes, but they're, it's, a little different than like now there's NIL stuff and whatever, but these guys are getting it like already on their own. They're out hustling weekend warriors, whatever you want to call it. And I don't even want to say weekend warriors. Cause that's a different group. These, these boys and, they're and females, professionals. Yeah, they're, yeah. Showing up in. they're like, they're, they're in school, they're doing their team sport, but they're also on top of that doing, doing their own yeah. videos that they're you brought up part. NIL. And I'm dead serious when I say this, I want to work out an NIL deal with them. <laughs> I really do. I think that it'd be great to have them represent Twyla and the Louisiana Farm Bureau, you know, in some way, shape or fashion. And I think those men and, and women um, definitely, like you said, they're professional. And we talk about that level and cowboys and cowgirls, they carry themselves quite well. So I think that would be a really good Really good thing. I know they're getting a lot of um, momentum behind them, too. My parents are both McNeese alums. And one weekend I was in with them and like, oh, we're going to a rodeo team fundraiser. And they actually had a wrestling match where some of the rodeo team members. Did we, yeah, we talked about that. And it was pretty cool. So I know they're getting a lot of support from the alumni kind of outside of because I don't think they're considered athletics. No. So Weird. the big thing about rodeo teams is they're not considered part of the athletic department. Um, yes, they go through the school and stuff like that, but we are not considered through the athletic department. So I remember that was one of the interesting things that the coach who was in his own right, a professional rider with mm-hmm. bull. Uh, I think he bareback. did a couple. He did a couple. couple yeah. yeah. But he was awesome. But he was saying that he would go to these uh, on that kind of note of like not considered college athletes or whatever. It's not part of the athletic department or whatever. He would go and have meetings with the other coaches from the other sports. And and kind of I don't know if he was being serious or just making jokes, but he's like, were your guys out at five thirty this morning on an optional workout? Were they all there this morning for mm-hmm. fake football or for baseball? And he's like, because mine, all of my team was there this morning. And I think that was even part of their fundraiser. Like, I think they did training for the wrestling. Like yeah, they were they doing do. extra they, like 
I think it was boxing, not wrestling. But what I'm not. I think sure. it's kind of. With yeah. those, <laughs> I think it's a mixture. It's pretty insane, but I think they had to do like extra training outside of their classes yeah. and regular workouts. And they talked to us about that. I mean, yeah. um, they said it was a uh, is a good time. I'll say yeah. that. <laughs> yes, I think they. I mean, it was pretty entertaining. And yeah. I didn't realize that both your parents were McNeese Cowboys. Yeah, they were. They were. And then, Allie's from that that side of the state, so mm-hmm. I guess we should shouldn't rule it out. Make me a good school. It was, yeah. It's great. Greg Fox, school. you know, yeah. marketing department's an alum up there. Well, one of the stories that I did this year that I didn't want to do, but I'm glad it was I covered it because it was a necessity. Was the damage on our soybean field um, due to the rainstorm in August? It was sandwiched by two months of drought, and so a lot of people didn't really realize, especially since we didn't have hurricanes this year, that rain was a big factor. But it was, and that led to the story Carl did last week about. Um, going out on mm-hmm. uh, with the DC crew, mm-hmm. and that was a that was sort of the the let's talk about that good end of that. Yeah, yeah. There, there. So there's it's a really grim story if you look at a lot of the soybean acreage in state. Um, I know on my family's farm it was pretty grim and lots of loss because a lot of the crop was ready, and then about ten to fifteen days of constant rain, mm-hmm. constant moisture, constant cloudy days, not really dry days even if it wasn't raining it was cloudy it was humid it was wet and um that ruined a ton of crops uh tons of acres of soybeans were damaged beyond uh a marketable bean so a lot of soybeans were sold for salvage price instead of 15 dollars, they were sold for 425 what were you about to say that's what i was going to ask yeah. you i was like what's the difference when you talk salvage yeah. price and you've 425 a third a, third, a, bushel. a right. per bushel and you know these farmers are it it gets into a really complex discussion, um, you know, when it comes to insurance. And a lot of these farmers have insurance, but the level of insurance they have that's just economical for them to have doesn't really cover if you don't lose yield. Well, we had damaged beans all over the state, but the yield was still pretty decent because mm-hmm. we had such a good crop going into this storm or this rain event. Which is a major point of this. You didn't have yield loss. You had damage to beans. You didn't have price loss because the markets were still strong. Mm -hmm. But what you could market your damaged beans for was was $11 per bushel. And this is an economy of scale. If you're talking about 90 uh, bushel an acre soybeans, you have 1,000 acres, that's 90,000 bushels, Mm -hmm. if my math is correct. So you're talking about, is that nine? I don't know the math. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm failing in my ridic- math now. It gets where- ridiculous and you can get into the hundreds of thousands of dollars of loss very quickly on a farm, on a very average farm. And that's what um, was kind of mind blowing. And that's the story. So to catch back up. So Neil did the story in August with uh, farmer Will Miller and a- he and Andy Brown, a- Neil and Andy Brown went out to kind of survey the damage with Will and hear his story well will was part of a group of he he and three other farmers went to washington dc with andy brown to kind of go to capitol hill and tell that story to our congressional congressional delegation who's andy brown andy brown is the (laughs) thank you different podcast um andy brown is the national affairs coordinator for louisiana farm bureau he also oversees commodities uh issue based um kind of commodity director and soybeans are one of his commodities, grain crops, uh, feed grains. So soybeans are right up his alley in the national affairs. So it kind of was, he was the perfect guy for this job to be able to take a group of farmers up to DC. So I went along with this group of farmers to DC as they told their story to congressional 
uh, staff and um, and the actual you know representatives and senators, which was really cool. One of the greatest things we heard was from every every person we spoke to. They said, "Oh, we've heard this story. We're with you. We've got your back." They're just the biggest question mark is how do they where do they find the funding for the disaster relief that farmers need. Um, in a lame duck session. In a well, lame duck session. It's, it's, it's very complicated. It's a lame duck session, but the crop year for most for grain farmers, for even for most of the country, has passed. This is at a time when, you know, people are winding down. They're in a lame duck session. They're thinking about next year. But next year is the 2023 Farm Bill is coming up. Mm-hmm. And we need to look at this issue in particular because it's come up year after year. How do we get adequate disaster aid? Mm-hmm. And one of the the big complaints we hear from farmers in Louisiana is that in the Midwest, those crop insurance programs are adequate, but down here, they just simply are not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do we want to support our farmers or not? I mean, and and so every year there's going to be some type of disaster across the country. I mean, we've got support programs for other aspects, for other things. We've bailed out large companies before. What about the people growing our food? Mm-hmm. You know, and there's got to be a better way to do it that you know, when you see thousands of acres being sold at salvage prices, which this year with those enhanced fuel prices doesn't even cover the cost of harvest, don't we need something a little better than 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 that for mm-hmm. these farmers? I mean, are, are we just going to ask them to throw that crop away, especially when we know many of these companies just blend those soybeans away and it makes almost no difference in the long run? Yeah, that was one of the like that some of these farmers I spoke with said that they felt like a broken record because they're saying the same thing over and over again, that we have crop insurance. It doesn't work as well for us in Louisiana as it does in the Midwest. We don't want to say no to crop insurance ever. But it's just it was tough. And so that was one of the recurring discussions. But uh, anyways, they weren't trying to fix the farm bill in this two day trip. They were just saying we need some help to get to the by the actual time. We're not going to be in business when the next farm bill is signed into law. If we don't get some relief between now and then, not not maybe not the farmers that were on the trip, but they were speaking for their entire uh, communities. I mean, if if your paycheck gets burned up. The week before you need to pay the light bill, it's a problem. You still need money to pay the light bill. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we're talking about large bills. Like this is totally ignoring the fact that this was an expensive crop before mm-hmm. we even talk about the rain. Like we need farmers needed to have the crop of a lifetime just to pay the bills this year. Right. Without the extreme and a lot of them weather. had that. Like maybe not the crop of a lifetime. They had a really good crop. A lot of them did. Um, and in fact, you, I don't know if you meant to do this, but you're trying to segue perfectly. The actual story I did for the look back show this week was the story I did with Philip Tomlinson back in um, end of April or beginning of April, early, late March, something like that. But it was him talking about the decisions that go into what crop to plant. Do I plant corn? Do I plant soybeans? How much is fertilizer going to cost me to, to apply for a, a corn crop versus a soybean crop and all the different factors in play. So it was, it was interesting that that's the story I did because um, it, it kind of set, I feel like maybe not, I'm not going to try to put too much on my story I did, but it really set the stage for what ended up being mm-hmm. at the end of the year. Well, it was like, man, that decision they, that a lot of these farmers made really could have made or break Well, I think big that's time. the story of the American farmer. And that's kind of, we don't always get to see it. But if you look back at your stories this year, you told the story that farmers face year after year, which is why it's so important that... 
we do that. Mm-hmm. I think that was a critical thing because it looked at when I did the story with Will, there was that connection there about what he did. And one mm-hmm. of the things he said was this was the most expensive crop he ever mm-hmm. put in, not the least of which was because those two weeks of rain, as I said, were sandwiched by drought. This was the most irrigation he'd ever done. He did it eight times, he irrigated eight times. He said the most prior record of that was six, the record. So on average, he's irrigating only two to three times a year. This was several times more at a time when fuel prices to mm-hmm. run those pumps is much higher. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, ironically, ruined by rain uh, right before it, right in the, right as he starts to harvest. Guess what the weather was like in D.C. while we were up there? Rainy. 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 Yep. It was just, couldn't, it was unreal. But anyways. You, you brought up that about, you know, irrigation. That's another reason why the disaster programs don't necessarily work for Louisiana. In the Midwest, you, you're going to see that crop being destroyed slowly by drought or slowly. It's a slow process. And you can say, I'm not going to water these anymore, so it's not going to cost me any more money. And even if I have electric pumps this year, electricity, you got hit with the fuel adjustment call, uh, charge. So that, whether it's electric or diesel, here we don't have that choice mm-hmm. because the disaster comes Right when we've put the full investment. Yeah. You, right. you can't you can't taper off. And they talked about that at DC too a lot with, with people. Last payment on the car, you totaled it. Mm, good that's, job. That's a good way to look at it. Right. So, anyways, that's a lot. That's we I think we just talked about three different stories in my look back, and I yeah. didn't do but one well, of them. Well, that's okay. I, it was one big issue. <laughs> it I think. Is, yeah. it, it all ties in together. One other issue that we haven't really that that follow up with what Philip talked about in his um when I called him this morning, kind of just following up on that story and how his crop ended up was now the issue is next year. Right. And he can't get his beans sold out of his grain tanks that he has because the river is too low. And that's the other story. Yeah. The river being too low means inputs aren't, cannot, aren't coming in to his port at Lake Providence. And now he's like, I don't know what, what our inputs are going to cost for this coming year. And it's like, this whole thing all over again. And it's, man, it's just, it's going to be brutal. And it's going to be a similar, looks like a similar story for next year. I mean, it's going to be tough to make some planting decisions mm -hmm. based on what's available. Because if you don't have the fertilizer, what crop are you going to go with? Mm. You're going to go with one that you don't have to use as much fertilizer. I think that means more soybean acres. Philip was hundred percent soybeans and, Yeah, it's going to be a difficult year for a lot of farmers just making decisions. I know, I mean, a lot of farmers are struggling from last year. Like you said, you have to pay the the light bills before you even make these planning decisions for next year and getting these crop loans Mm -hmm. and your business plan. It's just, it's been a rough year for Louisiana agriculture. And people don't realize how rough it's been on rice. And we haven't really (laughs) talked about that a whole lot. Rice really got sandwiched when it comes to, to profit margins. I mean, you're talking about... The expense of pumping, the expense of pumping the water off, the expense of harvest and paying for $5 diesel, only getting, what, $15 a hundredweight on the market when you've put a lot more into it, plus you had weather disasters right at harvest. Correct. You had a lot of the rice get blown down by those same rains. Mm-hmm. And then they couldn't even get soybeans. in there. They were having, a, I know a lot of farmers that were late were having a really hard time getting in fields mm-hmm. to harvest it after this extreme rain. Yeah. That was my first story I did after paternity leave was I came back and did a rice story and they're like, we should have been done harvesting our first crop by now. 
a lot of them didn't even get a second crop because mm-hmm. they harvested so late. Right. And they made such messes in their fields. Yeah. So, and then a lot of those farmers also have soybeans in the field, so they got double whammy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Remember, when it comes to rice, Louisiana is number three in the country. Arkansas and California, I think. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So Maybe number four. Texas big... might have a little bit more than us. Uh, but the other part is, when you look at the world market for rice, mm-hmm. we are very, very small in yeah. production when mm-hmm. you compare Absolutely. it to... Vietnam to India. China and India. But it's still a big part of our South Louisiana. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, even in Northeast Louisiana, it's a big part of our agriculture scene. Yep. For sure. And part uh, of the culture. Can we, can, can we stop talking about disaster? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, I wanted to transition because. Please I make the transition rice, as long as we're getting out of bad. Yeah, we are because <laughs> rice is a very important part of our culture because it is part of what our we cuisine. eat. Uh, the cuisine. There it is. And what we've been feasting on. And of course, while all you guys are doing those mm, hard news stories, I went and ate. I did. I went with you. So don't act like you did it all by yourself. Yeah. It was awesome. This, we went over to Cafe Josephine over in Sunset and Chef Troy Bijou, just an awesome guy and a a, a great character Mm -hmm. to hang around with. Um, and we had done a, a feasting on agriculture with him, but time constraints. We we shoot a lot, and sometimes things don't make it. I knew it for the record. I knew it when we were filming. I was like, man, we are filming way too much, but I don't want to stop because this food is incredible. You just wanted to eat it. I did want to eat it. You didn't want to stop the food But as we in. were cooking it, I was like, man, so much is going to have to get cut. And yeah. we ended up having to cut an entire dish yeah. out of that segment. And that was the duck and tasso empanadas with sweet potatoes. Mm. And son, let me tell you, let me tell yeah, you. You're going to have to tell me because you didn't bring it back for the rest of us. I don't even know what that is. That we're having this podcast after lunch after this lunch, time. Yeah. <laughs> we're not all hungry. Not the hangry edition. I don't yeah. know. I'm getting hungry now. <laughs> but, yeah. So the duck was just so succulent and the tasso was savory and the now sweet I'm potato <laughs> was sweet. It was. And then, I don't insane. even know what this dish is and I'm hungry now. I mean, it's a, a fried pie, an empanada. So you, you Have you had an empanada before? Oh, I had pie. oh so good. Like a meat pie. Like a hand pie, like a meat pie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It sounds here. delicious. Except better. Because yeah, it was, it was the best one I've ever had. Chef Troy made it. Yeah. And two had sweet potatoes in it. And the Louisiana Sweet Potato Commission is the one who hooked us up with, uh, with Chef Troy. The sweet potato puffs were amazingly easy to make and went down way too easy. And then his biscuits. His biscuit recipe was one of the most simple biscuit recipe I've ever heard in my life. And I was like, oh, my God, my biscuits don't come you out. You were trying to like make that. it way more complicated. And he was I like, was. no, 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 no. Cut that out. Just do this, this, and this, and you're you're done. Heavy Carl cream. talks about these biscuits often. Like, uh, yeah, my dad very called often. me. He didn't share the recipe with us, but my dad called me and was like, "Hey, so like, did you actually get it?" And I'm like, "No, I didn't get the recipe either." I mean, he he tells us about it in the thing, mm-hmm. but it didn't like measure out and give exactly. Yeah, it tells you what's in it, but the amazing thing for me was it's a recipe with no leavening. Huh. So, no baking powder, no baking soda. All of the fluffiness comes from the fact that he uses heavy cream and high heat. So you have the steam, which is what's going to provide the air bubbles, and then the the heavy fats in the heavy cream will hold it together, give it some Mm. structure. And 
it just absolutely melts when you put it in your mouth. The stains, the stains, oh, stopping it with the stains doesn't oh. hurt. So road trip. Oh, actually, yeah, that wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean, I can hey, definitely. Hey, this week in your town, sunset. Mm-hmm. I your love way. sunset. Yeah, I'm. I'm all. <laughs> Wait till you have the the biscuits. You're really. <laughs> We'll do breakfast there and lunch and dinner. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I'll cover no. that story next. <laughs> it really anyway. was an amazing feasting on agriculture. It was fun to shoot. It was a great day to hang out. Uh, Candace was was wonderful to work with there as well uh, with the Graham Group, and I just I, I had a great time. Yeah, it was awesome. I'm kind of like I'm kind of like Ali. Let's 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 hit the road and go back to sunset and get some get some of that. The the empanadas though he topped it with what was it a, like a blackberry or a strawberry preserve or something a blackberry if I remember correctly oh my gosh it was just all the flavors the sweet the savory it was insane it was so good well speaking of good things to come uh, we're gonna wrap things up here in just a second but we should let you know next year January all of our shows are gonna be out of town big time out of town <laughs> American Farm Bureau January 6th through 11th in San Juan Puerto Rico so we'll be taking the crew there and uh I've already got a story set up I already got one story, one set, story up. set up is it related to the crop that we just talked about it, it is it's related to rice so uh I'll give you a quick teaser a lot of people don't know this but the LSU Ag Center does some research over using uh, some facilities over in San Juan, Puerto Rico, because it mm. allows them to grow things a little bit longer and a little bit faster. And so uh, we're going to go visit. Mm. Very cool. That's cool. I'm doing a, I haven't set it up, but I'm doing a co- coffee story because I've got to. Because Are we surprised? No, no, nobody should be surprised. No. Mm. And so uh, beyond that, Avery and I are going to come back and turn around. And on the 17th, we're headed to with the LSU ag leadership group to go to panama and then costa rica so we'll be roughing it there uh hardcore and andy brown the national affairs coordinator with the louisiana farm bureau will be there with us uh galen iverstein is in Mm -hmm. the class uh as is darling roland 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 adams yeah roland adams Adams, yeah uh with bretta the big river robert duncan robert duncan is in it as well with the young farmers and ranchers we've, chair. we've started we've started a problem with i know a lot yeah. of other people yeah. in that class yep cody is cody beavers in this class i think cody beavers is in this yeah. class with, there's a handful yeah uh, matt gravois yeah yep. matt gravois is in the class big, it's a big crowd you're gonna have a bunch of friendly faces y'all are gonna recognize are. i'm pretty sure i gotta say i think the northeast part of the state has a pretty solid chunk in this class so good we're holding it down good you know, my home, my home front got to right. represent. Yeah. yeah, I hear you. All right. Well, uh, hopefully we'll get some podcast in when we get back. But uh, until that time, I'm Neil Malonson, along with Avery Davidson, Ali Shipley, Brian Hendrickson, and Carl Wiggers. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Happy holidays. Bye. If you can, subscribe to us on your favorite place to get podcasts. Also, leave us a review wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, and let us know what you think about the show. Reviews are great, but sharing is how you show that you're caring. So bring (laughs) your mother in, bring your sister in, share this podcast with them, let them know that you enjoy listening to the Twyla After Show. And don't forget this podcast is produced by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. 